the Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner on the lovely Friday edition of Two for One Drafts. Really excited for what we have for you guys today. We're going to start with a defensive tackle overview, a class overview. We got we're going over like what twenty guys. Going to talk about twenty different defensive tackles. Every single one of them in our top fifty, and even guys outside of our top fifty that is in currently in the twenty twenty NFL Draft Guide, made available to all PFF Edge and Elite subscribers. Support the Two for One Drafts podcast. Go buy a PFF sub. And after the defensive tackle class overview, if you're not watching on YouTube, if you are listening to the audio version, which I encourage everyone to do, you'll get the Denzel Mims interview, the wide receiver from Baylor, who was fantastic, by the way. Absolutely fantastic. A very bright kid. So smart. I I really did like Denzel Mims coming out of that interview. And Hunter Bryant as well, the Washington tight end, who was another great interview as well. You'll get both of those. But let's go ahead and dive into this defensive tackle group. Huh, Ryder? A little nicer things you had to say there about Mims and Bryant. Well, no, Mims just, I mean, you you come out of some of these interviews (laughs) and you're just kind of like blown away by how much this guy understands the game, how much Mm -hmm. he understands his position. He said, he said it wasn't his athleticism, wasn't his contested catchability, all these things. He said like one of the major takeaways that he just knows the game. He knows what every single person on each play is going to do. And it's like that, he's like, he takes like a quarterback's approach to every play in terms of having a game plan, knowing what others are doing, blocking appropriately, all these things. I think. That's just smart players are good in the NFL. He's been a rocket ship in the pre-draft process. Sam Monson, wide receiver three for him. Oh, my gosh. Drop the take. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know (laughs) if I'm ready for that. But, I mean, every single part of this process, the senior bowl – the combine, the mm-hmm. interview process have been, gr- you know, green line just trending up for Denzel Mims. So, I yeah. mean, I could not be I would not be surprised if he got, he got drafted very high. Yeah, that's another example of the, you know, no matter how high you are in a guy, someone else is just going to be having the take. That's we, like we had that take Denzel with Mims, Connor, Connor Rogers at the combine. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and listen to it. We're like, there's always a guy that loves a prospect more, more than, than you. you. It's just you will every never time. love a guy as much as someone who has a number one on the board <laughs> out there. Some All right, let's get let's get to this defensive tackle group, starting with number one which i kind of want to spend some time with because recently especially talking to the analytics crew dr eric eager and george jahuri did not have auburn defensive tackle in the first round of their mock draft Mm -hmm. they do not see him as a first round caliber player from a value standpoint because he won't offer that significant value as a pass rusher and impact the passing game he right now he is 12th on pff's latest big board that's largely done by you with some input from others but Derek brown at 12 where are you right now on this kind of debate of of him being a top 10 player, him being a first rounder. What is your like kind of, you know, bottom line with Derek Brown? All right. I go back and forth on this and I kind of had this take this year that I I had in years past been like, I care about pass rush with these guys, you know, defensive tackles. You still have, you have to be able to rush the passer. That's what's most valuable in the NFL, the passing game, blah, 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 whatnot. I've kind of changed my tune in recent years in terms of, I think that guys who are elite in run defense and can offer something as a pass rusher, you don't have to be elite in that regard, but just like pocket pushing ability to where they can be on the field every down. I'm, I will draft a guy like that in the first round because of what it does to you schematically in terms of not having your linebackers be as worried about the run game. And, and when you have linebackers, when you have undersized defensive tackles and your linebackers are worried about getting kept clean, about having to defend the run game, then they're worse in coverage. And that sort of trade-off of these undersized DTs that are liabilities kind of in the run game uh, then screw your linebackers in coverage. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a twofold. It's kind of like yeah. an unintended consequence of having that. If you have a guy who's super stout in run defense, two DTs that are super stout in run defense, and you know you have these, you know, I go back to these like undersized, you have the Jaguars linebackers, the undersized guys who need to be kept clean uh, or else they're you know not going to be able to make plays in the run game. And then you see a play-action fake you're not coming straight downhill as a linebacker. If you know that uh, you don't have to, like Mm -hmm. you don't have to, to still be able to make a play. You can not bite on that fake and then drop into coverage. And that sort of, that helps you out more than that added increase in pass rush, because there's not a lot of, you know, quote unquote needle movers in pass rush at the NFL level at defense tackle. There were eight guys last year who had pass rushing grades over 80 at the entire position. So there's just not a lot to go around. That means there's not going to be one every single draft. Mm -hmm. There's not going to be that guy. Uh, in this draft, if there was, you know, if I had to put a pin on one, it would probably be the next guy we're going to talk about, Javon Kinlaw, who could be that difference maker. I don't think Derek Brown's going to be that necessarily difference maker, but I bet he grades in like the 70s as a pass rusher. I bet he's like going to be a solid, you know, pocket pusher. And at that point, I think you're still, with how elite he projects to as a run defender, I think you're still recruiting a lot of value. And the war even said, the war even trends towards at the defense tackle position, the guys who are better run defenders and making more plays in the run game because. 
as long as teams are still running the football, stopping the run still has value. Yeah, I, I think to kind of pull that, I think anecdotally you're saying if you're undersized and or poor run defenders up front, yes. and you're also undersized at off-ball linebacker, it's going to have a negative effect on your run defense. You need to have some beef in the middle or yes. some elite run and, defense and up front. And it's going to have a negative effect on your pa- on your pass coverage game. Because your linebackers coverage. have to play more downhill to account for yes. you know, the undersized up top. And I think, I think anecdotally that makes sense. I think the logic makes sense. I'd be interested to see if there is data studies that could be done to kind of prove that theory. And, and look at like look at things like yeah. when you have know. when you have poor run defenders up top or guys that can only one gap up top yeah how does that affect your coverage how does that affect your run defense from your off-ball linebackers and mm-hmm. then do it with, do it differently with Vice guys person. who have really big beef up front i think it's it, i think it's sound sound logic really big beef you gotta go to the showers to find that one out but yeah <laughs> no i uh, will talk to eric and uh george i've actually no but I, and, and that, that last comment i think shouldn't go understated war i've seen the guys like comment? no not the showers comment okay. i've seen guys like lawrence guy and and, um uh, other like kind of run first interior defensive linemen rank high in pff war because they offer value on you know some in some games 60 percent of plays i mean they offer value and sometimes over half the game and then and then the other point that like when you are coming from behind as a defense when you're down are we in the showers again or (laughs) jesus christ as when you're in the third third fourth quarter and you're behind what do you want do you want a pass rushing dt or do you want to run stuffing dt Mm mm-hmm you want the run stuff because yes, 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 they're yes. going to run. They're going to be running yeah. the football to come back. You want that. So that is a it's a it's another intricate problem that uh, I'm not sure there's a great answer to. But we're going to we're trying. To no, but I think to kind of sum solve. it up anecdotally, I really agree with what you said in terms of if you're both if you're undersized up front and force more pressure on your already yes. undersized off ball linebackers, because every team is trying to get more lighter. Yes, at off-ball you, linebacker. Have, you can't you can't be, yeah. you can't have the beef at linebacker because mm-hmm. those guys are going to struggle exactly. in coverage more so. But does having similar lack of size up front negatively affect all phases of the off ball linebackers play? I think it's interesting, so, an interesting conversation. Also stemmed from is Derek Brown this top 10 top first round pick right now where are you comfortable taking Derek Brown let's get back to Derek Brown then so probably not top 10 and especially in this class uh probably not around top 15 either just because I think it's a good uh, there's a lot of talent and a lot of valuable positions tackle wide receiver cornerback in this draft class that I think if you're you know trying to win today's NFL those positions are just always going to be more valuable you got to lock down those positions so I'd see uh probably in the 15 to 20 range, I, I could feel comfortable with Derek Brown. Yeah. And I, I, like I, if you took him, I probably wouldn't argue with him because at the end of the day, I think you'll finish in the top 32 of this draft class in terms of wins above replacement added over the course of, you know, his rookie contract. Because bang. I think he'll be good and run defense out the gate. Like he has, he's the strongest DT in this class, has the length, has the, you know, all the skills you want. Man, that point, that, so. I, I think I'm with you there. I think I'm with you that yeah. that that 15 to 20 range. I start to feel really good about it because I do think and I saw someone tweet this. I don't even know if it was you or not, but I would not want to be the team inside the top 15 that comes away from this class with all this receiver talent, all this offensive tackle ca- talent with the defensive tackle like Derek Brown. That's just, I just wouldn't. Yes. I would rather have one of the receivers. I'd rather have yeah. one of these offensive tackles or the quarterback. Yeah, but then there comes a point at you know all of those positions, all of those sort you know value positions where you're chasing an upside that's so unlikely to hit. Yes. No, that, absolutely. Like, you're, like you, you still, it behooves you to have good players yeah. in a lot of different positions. But there are four roster. offensive tackles you would want to take in the top 15. Yes. There are probably three, maybe four receivers teams are willing to take in the top 15. Maybe. Yeah. You know, you, I, I think with that being said, you start to stack this up, the two quarterbacks go, maybe three quarterbacks go, all of a sudden Javon Kinlaw maybe does slide. I'm not sure. All right, let's keep moving forward here. We spent a lot of time on Derek Brown and we spent a lot of time really on just defensive tackle and trying to evaluate him. I think it's an interesting conversation. Javon Kinlaw is next. He's 13th yes. on PFS Big Board. He's the South Carolina defensive tackle. Tall, long, great character, former JUCO prospect that's still very raw, admittedly raw, but productive. And when you are raw and productive, I, I, I feel like I get more excited about guys that are raw and unproductive, largely because if you can do it when you don't have a ton of tools, think about when this guy learns two or three more moves at the next level. Yeah, and that's the thing. I might, when it's all said and done, have Kinlaw above Brown. Hello. Even after that whole whole rant thing, because he could be like a Chris Jones type. Like he has that athleticism. He has that length. He has the, you know, the skill sets that are necessary to rush the passer at a high level at the NFL level, to be an actual difference maker at that position. Uh, I mean, 34 plus inch arms, 315 pounds. Actually, Ken McCombie was 324, which like I did I don't know why he's getting bigger. I'd probably slim down if I were this dude. Uh, rush the pass a little bit more at the next level. But, I mean, just at, like I said, I've said it before. 
this is how you'd build a defensive tackle if you were trying to, to rush the passer at the NFL level. Uh, strength, quickness, all that sort of stuff. But again, he has like a push-pull move and kind of a bull rush, and sometimes he'll play high. And he'll play high against the run. He's not nearly the run defender Derek Brown is. But can that if, not if be coached? Him, though? Yeah, like playing high is something that like can be playing coached. high is just a consistency sort of like you see him play low at times and, and it's good. But then he'll just, you know, get a little lazy and pop up out of stance and you, and you just will not be nearly as effective in his pass rushing moves either. So from the interviews I've heard as well, I do think he has the demeanor, character and wit to improve with coaching drastically yeah. like improve pad level improve yeah. his pass rush moves repertoire whatever it may be and i think for that reason i get more and more more and more on board with guys who have all these tools and and raw you know type of yeah and guys. only two years of even like major college coaching yep like he, he was at a juco for two years prior so yep and he was one of the highest graded defensive tackles this past year correct I, if we go to the grading yeah so he had the highest grade of any defensive tackle pass rushing grade of a defensive tackle in 2018 of any returning defensive tackle and then had the second highest this past year behind the man who's next on our list, actually, Jordan he, Elliott. Just diving on, just tying a bow here on Javon Kinlaw. 2017, a 74.1 overall grade on 378 defensive snaps, improved to an 85.0 overall grade in 2018 on over 500 snaps. And then this past year, 89.3 overall grade on 625 defensive snaps. Improving your grade every year of your career good. is always good. We do like seeing that in the grading profile. Moving forward here, Jordan Elliott. The Missouri defensive tackle that I've seen go all the way down to day three on some people's boards, but uh, we have had him as a first rounder for quite some time, and I feel really good about it. He was the highest graded defensive tackle in all of college football last year. He's the 20th ranked uh, player on PFS big board defensive tackle number three, an impressive player, a guy that will need to one gap at the next level more so than like a Derek Brown can two gap and things like that. But Jordan Elliott can rush up field. He can push the pocket. He can be a good pass rusher in the NFL. Yeah. He's probably a three tech. He's yep. probably not going to be super versatile on the defensive, you know, lines interior. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think he can uh, develop into because we've seen him take improve by leaps and bounds over early in his career at Missouri uh, was a Texas transfer. Uh, started his career at Texas, then transferred to Missouri uh, as a redshirt sophomore. Wasn't even really a starter. He was a kind of a rotational player until towards the end of that season. Had a dominant game against Arkansas, a dominant game against Tennessee. Had into this year, we're like, man, if he continues like what we saw then this year, could be something special. And he did. I mean, he led the, all defense tackles in the country in grading. Uh, I think he's pretty po- has some pretty powerful hands. Like you see him rock dudes on contact. Uh, when he gets, you know, engaged and then can throw him, can shed, make plays as well. And again, like I said, one gap, you can get upfield off the last scrimmage, a 5.02 40 yard dash uh, is pretty darn good for a 300 plus pounder. Uh, most years, except for like the handful of guys that ran like sub four eight this year, kind of put them to shame. The but, Davises, yeah, we'll get to uh, those guys later. But yeah, Elliot, I, I think he just offers a lot. Like he's not going to, with Brown and Kinlaw, you're kind of chasing. It's my point of like you're chasing like freakish traits. Like Brown's just so strong, Kinlaw's just so you know how you'd build a defense tackle. Elliot's not that, but he still has good traits for the position. And at that point. I think he's closer to those guys than a lot of people would like to admit. An 86.6 overall grade in 2018 and a 92.4 college football high, 92.4 overall grade in 2019. Impressive stuff for Jordan Elliott. Let's jump to 31, who is kind of the an edge, was an edge defender primarily at Auburn, but best projects after gaining a ton of weight in the pre-draft process yeah. as a defensive tackle at the next level. And a damn good one at that. He's the 31st ranked player on PFF's board, defensive tackle or interior defender number four, Marlon Davis. Davidson of Auburn. I really do like because I think you say it best here is that he had he had okay athleticism for edge defender, mm-hmm. but he's got good, if not great, athleticism for a defensive tackle. And I think he can get on the outside shoulder of guards. He can get upfield and t- kind of push the pocket very well. And I also think th- these guys coming out of Auburn know how to play the run. I, I mean, they're well coached in that regard. I think Marlon Davidson yeah, is I mean, a that's plus why he's- run. That's why he's playing edge. Yeah, exactly. They want yeah. to stuff. Yeah, the run. it's similar. Like, yes. so I think Auburn and Georgia similarly kind of put some some beef to get back to that word on on the edges there to kind of like help play the run and all those things. I think Marlon Davidson though, as a defensive tackle, has more upside than he does if Ooh. he's going to be an edge defender. Upside in quotes. Yes. No. I I agree. So I agree that he is better suited interior. Yes. And like he. And obviously admitted it to himself because he gained a bunch of weight to go do it, you know. <laughs> so he thought so himself. Now, Daniel Jeremiah thought he's still an edge defender, thought he was would work best on the edge. In the really? NFL. 
I think he's pure three technique in terms of his moves, how he worked the edge. Uh, was not again, and again, it was because when he was on the edge, he wasn't winning the edge. Yep. And if you don't win the edge consistently, uh, especially in the NFL, like not a lot of tackles give you that inside move. Not a lot of tackles are going to lose via the bull rush, you know, consistently. So you're just going to limit yourself. But on the interior, he's more than quick enough to get to the edge. Like he has uh, the bend to do so. And we saw him at Senior Bowl in the limited time he was there. He kind of he was dominant, had some really dominant reps uh, in that week of practices. So he's only like there a day and a half though. But Davidson, I don't know. I, I, it's difficult anytime you're projecting a guy to do something you really haven't seen him do a lot yeah. of. And we didn't see him do a lot of that at Auburn. But he, the, the sort of uh, silver lining or the thing that we feel comfortable about is even out of position, he's still graded really well. Like he still graded better than a lot of you know edges in this class who are getting rumored for you know day two sort of picks. So uh, I, I like Mar- Marlon Davidson. If you're taking him back into the first round, uh, you know you need a three technique, need some pass rusher there. Uh, I think he can do it. And I think he play run. Like, I think he can hold up and run defense as well. And he also had one of the better quotes of the entire combine. I'm going to read it to you. What I love most about the game is that I can literally go out there and hit a man consistently and pound him, and the police won't come. That has that has traditional GMs really, you know, chopping at the bit to get their hands on Marlon Davidson. I think I didn't see Hopefully that. He doesn't have any like legal issues in the future. That 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 one could like that, that, one's that get tweet will up. get like, that yeah. tweet will get some retweets. Exactly. I get that, but I I, I agree with a lot what you said with Marlon Davidson. Let's jump to Justin Matabuke, the Texas A&M defensive tackle, 45th ranked player on PFS board. Yeah, let's let's throw him and Blacklock kind of together. So Ross Blacklock, the TCU defense tackle, is next on this board. Both guys. Defensive tackle five and defensive tackle six. Both guys athletically, probably the two most athletic defense tackles in the class in terms of all around, all encompassing, like what they can do. But both are sub 300 pounds. So these are the guys that kind of fit the mold of like, Guys, I would would have loved in years past me like these. They have all the pass rushing tools; they can do that. But run defense is the worry with both of them. You're, you're almost going to have to schematically protect in terms of what they do at the next level in terms of run defense. If you are, uh, if you're a one gapping team, you know, if you're a team that likes to get upfield, you're going to like these guys. Like they can penetrate. Both of them have shown that consistently on their tape. Uh, Metabuke, I think it's a more refined pass rusher at this point. That's why he gets the kind of the nod. And he actually went to the combine and tested out a little better than Ross Blacklock did, which was surprising to me because I thought just on tape, Blacklock's sort of agility in that w- was going to be was going to test out elite. Didn't necessarily look that way at the combine, but I, I think both. I mean, both tested out still pretty uh, well in that regard. So I'm not like worried about either. But Matabuke did test out a little better in my eyes. Uh, has a little more pass rushing moves. Uh, has shown, you know, he took over that Ole Miss game, really just like was head up on the center a lot of snaps. And just when he had a two-way go, it was over. You know, he gets a guy with two-way go. He's just too quick for college offensive linemen. But he's also jacked. Yeah. Matabuke is jacked, like very much so. He's got he's got like good weight on him, even though he does come in at, you know, 293 pounds. This guy's pretty, pretty stacked up. Six foot three, 293 pounds, clocked a 483, 40-yard dash, 31 reps on the bench press too, mm-hmm. with 33 and a half inch arms, and a 7373 cone. He did not do any of the other drills at the combine, but Matabuke, you, you see that athleticism on tape, you see that pop. I, I, I think there's there, he wasn't on the Jordan Elliott level of production though, from a grading standpoint. That's the he, thing. He didn't get all the way up there, but I I kept on hearing Bucky Brooks say this when he's scouting. And I think this is, I I kind of found this interesting when you have a question mark about a player and his production specifically, you need to find out why, especially when they have these tools to be better, like a Caleb on chase on, for example, or Julian Acora. Why were you inconsistent? Why did you not produce? If you are this good, I think finding that out, whether it be something behind the scenes or like technique standpoint is super important because if it's technique, maybe it can be coached out. If it's off field, maybe his situation can change. Cause I think Mm -hmm. finding out what exactly needs to change for you to be a 90 plus type of player in your grading system is interesting. And I think, I I think with his, why I don't know what it is, why he, He's not performing at the level he probably should be with the athleticism and skills that he has. But I do think he has those tools that teams are going to like. Yeah, because he I mean, goes against Georgia, one pressure, disappears in that game, disappears against Alabama, only two pressures, 56.3 pass rushing grade, like better offensive lines. Took him to task. Yeah, which is concerning. 
I mean, he did have his grade improve every year of his career, 74.8 to 84.2 to 85.7 across 567 defensive snaps in 2019, a top 20 defensive tackle from a grading perspective. But you still ask for a little bit more, a little bit more pass rush production if you are going to be this athlete in this, especially yeah. at 293 pounds. Like you, you need to be rushing the passer at a high level if you're going to kind of have a ton of value at the next level. Both these guys are flyer second rounders to me at that point then with that sort of athleticism. Daniel Jeremiah has Ross Blacklock. Let's ch- jump to him a little bit. He has Ross Blacklock, I think, in the top 20 yeah. of his board. I mean, he's an athletic freak. Right? We talked about him. If you haven't listened to the Daniel Jeremiah podcast, by the way, it's the one, the Wednesday edition, the episode before this, go back and listen to that one because it was fantastic. Daniel was Jeremiah was was great. Um, but with Black Blocks, uh, Black Block, Black Lock, 6'4", 300-pounder, uh, 81.5 overall grade across 570 defensive snaps this past year. Love his get off. I, I think he get off. He gets out of the uh, the break there quick, but I, I, I do think he's very raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing. He just doesn't have pass rushing moves like he has pretty much like zero like he is just uh, a bull in a china shop when he's going after the QB there's really no rhyme or reason to what he's throwing out which they don't really teach that like we've heard like TCU is not a pass rushing development sort of academy the way Ohio State is the way Clemson is like they're not getting the best coaching there so that it's almost encouraging like if if he was coming out of this like Ohio State you'd be way we'd be way lower on this guy because we'd be like why that why the hell isn't you know why doesn't he look like any of the other Ohio State guys? But because he's because he is raw, because he is coming from a program like TCU, you can almost forgive that and see. I do. <laughs> you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. You can almost forgive that and see. Uh, you know what? Uh, that his best football is ahead of him. Sorry. Gotcha. All right, let's jump to Neville Gallimore, the Oklahoma defensive tackle, hometown Ottawa, Canada. By the way, six foot two, three hundred four pounder, came in. A lot of people expected good things from him. And he did test well from a 40-yard dash standpoint, a 479 40-yard dash. I also don't hate the 23 reps on the bench, but where he struggled, oh, man, did he struggle, was change of direction drills, three-cone, a 797, 20-yard shuttle, 501. And I think people said this right after it happened. I think that does kind of match with his tape. He's very explosive, but somewhat out of control when asked to change direction in the backfield. And I don't know. I, I think that's a big reason why he's not a top five defensive tackle on PFS board. I think explosive, yes, but in terms of having those those finishing that finishing mm-hmm. skill set with change of direction, bend all those things, he does. I don't know if that's there. Yeah, I worry about Gallimore. The combine was really worrisome because those are bad numbers. Two, he's twenty three years old already. Like he's oh, old. You're not, and he and he looks. He looks raw for 23 years old in terms of like he's the kind of guy who the moves look like he's reading them out of a manual and then putting them into action as a pass rusher. Like they're not natural. Like he's not reacting the way you you want a guy to react to an offensive lineman's punch. He's not immediately, you know, swatting it away. He's kind of just like, I do the move that I do. I do my Man. I do my rip move and then I go. Uh it's just, just damning. And, and it's not that's not good, and I would, he's looked better a lot this year from what he looked like last year, and his grade improved from 75.0 as a pass rusher in 18 to 82.4 this past year. But with all that get off, with his you know sub 484, like he is explosive in a straight line, he should have been just murderous, you know, against college offensive line. You know, being older than all these other college offensive line is facing, he should have been in the backfield every single play. You would think with that athleticism, he wasn't. And then he doesn't have, you know, the change direction ability. Like he doesn't have uh, that sort of bend necessary to get back to the quarterback and to, you know, when you're on the edge of an offensive tackle, not just get completely washed past the pocket, but to actually get, uh, you know, into the meat of the pocket. Uh, Hello. With your beat. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, keep but, rolling. But I just, so I, well, that's why we're lower on. And I do, I might even, he might even go lower even after that because. I just I don't think that's a skill set that's ever going to change. I don't I don't yep. see that. I don't see the upside that maybe others do with him. I love how you put upside in quotes there. All right, let's jump to the next two guys. Let's move quickly. We got a lot of names to yeah, cover. Devon Hamilton, the Ohio State defensive tackle, and Raquan Davis of Alabama. Yes, no, yes, Alabama. Raquan Davis of Alabama. There at one hundred two and one hundred four, respectively, on PFF's board. I like. I think Devon Hamilton has some room to get up more, though. I, I mean, he had a good combine. I think his Senior Bowl was a little bit underrated. He is kind of tagged as like the opposite of what Matt Abuke and Rouse Blacklock are, and he's like kind of this bigger, bigger, beefier guy. But he tested well. I, I really did he's, like his testing. Yeah, he's one of the best pure nose tackles in this draft class. Like you saw him at the Senior Bowl, just guys could not hold up. The Nick Harris Devon Hamilton matchup at the Senior Bowl was like unfair. <laughs> Nick Harris, like you saw him trying to anchor and just like 
waves like crashing over Nick Harris wow. like backwards. I kind of feel it. Backwards. I can he, smell he just, the ocean. <laughs> he just kept like Devon Hamilton has that sort of. Uh, just so much strength throughout his frame that I think he's going strength to be. and mass. Like when you have strength yeah. and mass, which is somewhat becoming rare at the defense tackle position mm-hmm. because nose tackles aren't a starting player on a lot of defenses anymore. When you have strength and mass and you're going against some of these undersized centers, the Garrett Bradbury, Nick Harris's of the world, yeah. like you can, you can crash some waves. Yeah. He did 33 bench reps at the combine 5.1440, which was a better was vertical better than, than Juwan Jennings, better than Derek Brown's. There. So like <laughs> he has that in him. Kind of a guy who just like he'll control your center all game long. That that's his that's his mo. That's what he brings to the table. I'm not sure he's ever going to play a ton of snaps. Is the worry at this point because he's never played more than 357 snaps in a single season. Oh career. man, that's the Ohio State defensive line. They rotate, and he's never done that. Never had more than 20 pressures. In right the season there in the is a huge career. benefit of the draft guide because yeah. you can see his production. You can see these things. You think Devon Hamilton, you know, a starting caliber player at Ohio State. Whether or not he was, he never played more than 360 defensive snaps. And I don't know if that was due to injury. No, no, no. He's this guy's Ohio just, State's defense line. They, they, they rotate, rotate guys in. Rotate, Man, rotate, that's interesting. Every game this past that, that, that is very interesting. So right, with Devon Hamilton, let's jump to Raekwon Davis. And Raekwon Davis is the guy who we just said never developed as a pass rusher. And if you're drafting him thinking you're going to get a pass rusher, you just – I don't think it's going to happen at this point. The His overall grade has decreased each year over the past three years. <laughs> an 84.9 overall grade in 2017 and just an 81.1 overall grade in 2019. Dude's a monster, built like a monster, Frankenstein type of guy, but I don't see him being... He's like, a you know, in terms of like what you're projecting production... Like poor man's Derek Brown in terms of like he's not even going to pass yeah. rush in the sixty in the high seventies or anything along those lines. It's going to be sixties, but maybe he finds a way to get to an eighty plus run defense type of grid. Yeah, so he's six six, almost thirty four inch arms, eleven inch hands. Like he feels, oh man, he he feels like twenty years ago he would have been coveted a lot high, more highly because you know everyone wanted that three four defensive end. That's his build to a T. But he is not, you know, two gapping. You can two gap your offensive tackle all day long, but he is not going to rush the passer. And he's just not going to get any pass rush out of him. And, and I don't think he's versatile enough to where you can kick him in. Like he has to either play over the tackle or over the guard. You can't go inside. You can't put him at nose tackle. And at that point, a non versatile run defender is just like you're going to be low. On but he played for Alabama, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, he's he big. I, I I still think he, he's he probably- should have come out like honestly last year because he would have been a higher draftee than he is. Yeah, wow, that's some, that's crazy. Do you think he, he goes on day two or is he a day three player? I, I I'm saying how it. you how you view the NFL, how the NFL views him. I mean, Lance Zerline had a super high grade on him. Really? Still. Yeah, like over a seven, which is starter somewhere early. Oh so wow! I, so I think he still goes maybe third round. Man, that is that is incredible. All right, let's jump forward here. James Lynch, former Baylor edge defender, probably better projects as an interior defensive lineman at the next level. Very productive as well. Yeah. This guy had some pressure, a bit high pressure count, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. He, he actually high pressure guy. I mean, he led the nation in pressure. There we but go. He that's also that's led, what it was. He also led the nation. He had a, almost 500 pass rushing snaps uh, this past year. The interesting thing with him: so 295 pounds, rushed pretty much. So they would they had three down linemen in Baylor's front. He would be you know either like a five technique. He'd be outside the tackle or literally you know even wider on the majority of his snaps. But he he had a much higher pass rushing grade off the edge than he did on the interior. So that's kind of it's like, it's kind of concerning in terms of he has to play in the interior at the next level. Two hundred ninety five pounders are not going to be edge defenders in the NFL anymore, just because. I mean, you run into a quarterback who runs the option, you're screwed like, yeah. with that guy. Like you can't have him check tracking down Lamar Jackson in space. It's not ever going to happen. So you just have to be a little more athletic than he is on the edge. Uh, but the fact that he really on the interior when he was brushing the passer, it was night and day in terms of his grading. And if you want to find out the exact grade, you can go find it in the draft guide. Uh, another interesting nugget there that you'll find. But he so he rushes better on the edge than he does in the interior, but his has to play in the interior in the NFL. So I don't, I'm not exactly sure what to make of him, but he has athleticism, uh, has the little short T-Rex arms, unfortunately. But uh, there is a lot to like. like. He uses his hands really well, despite them not being that far away from his body. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's love the other Baylor kid in there too. I, I know you like Bravion Roy. Has you're, you're a big fan of Bravion Roy. Arms. This was like the T-Rex D line uh, in all of college football. Bravion Roy, I think had 30 inch arms. Uh, didn't get a combine invite, unfortunately, but oh. he got an invite to uh, the shrine game and he lit up the one-on-ones of the shrine game. If you want to go watch, it's actually awesome. Uh, he, with those little tiny arms, just can, 
get into dudes and just once he gets on the edge of people, like he has like a little rip with those arms. Uh, I and, love how and you're he's just, just tucking it in. <laughs> yeah. He probably has like, it's like same, all wrist. He probably has the same length <laughs> arms as I do. And I'm just, but uh, no, he's a real nice rip move, but he kind of plays high for a nose tackle, which is a bad combination when projecting to the NFL, a high nose tackle. So I love him as pass rusher in the nose tackle position, though. He might be my favorite of all the pure nose tackles in terms of his pass Even above Devon ability. Hamilton. Yes. Oh, man. I mean, this guy, he has some moves. He throws in that fat boy swim move. Any guy that throws in a fat boy swim move, I'm immediately like. I can get bored with a fat boy swim, but I mean, the, if you got a doggy paddle arm, <laughs> I don't know how that swim's going to play in the NFL. All right, moving forward here, last two guys in the top 50. Then we're going to dive into some guys that are, are listed in the draft guy, but have not cracked PFF's top 50. You keep oh. saying top 50. Top 150. I'm stupid. A top I think you said it like five times I, today. I agree. And I, I agree. corrected you yesterday. You're like, I said top 50? What? Yeah, <laughs> I suck. I suck. So in the top 150. Yeah. These last two guys, Lucky Foto of Utah uh, at 126 and McTelvin Agim at 128. So those are the last two defensive tackles in PFF's top 150. We're going to dive in some names in the draft guide outside of that, but let's start with Foto. Um, big dude, didn't get a chance to play at the Senior Bowl. I would have really, really liked I know, to see him have. at the Senior Bowl because at Utah, he was not asked a ton to kind of pin his ears back and blow up some offensive tackles against the pass. He was playing the run and he played it very well, but I want to see can you move this mountain of a man into a premier pass rusher? Right? Because, I, I mean, he does have a lot of the tools that you like. That's the thing. He has kind of some, like, freakish traits to him. 34 the USC game is absurd. Like, yeah. he, he, like, eats people alive in that game. And 30? I think if you saw more opportunities like he had in US, against USC, you'd be talking about Lucky Futu, Fotu a, a bit higher right now. Massive dude. 6'5", 330, 34 and a quarter inch arms, 10 to 5 eighths inch hands. Just everything about him is huge. And then he had a 5.15 40-yard dash, which, like, at that size is very... Very good number. Mike dropped that, didn't he? No, no, and no other 21, drills. Twenty-one bench reps, so no other drills after that. Those two, but at, at Utah, a lot of what they asked him to do was kind of like grab guard center, uh, you know, right at the snap, get up, and then like run read that sort of thing. He wasn't allowed to get into backfields and to press off the line of scrimmage. And you kind of saw actually more than eighteen, and he had a better pass rushing grade in two thousand eighteen than he did in two thousand nineteen. I think he offers something in terms of just like if you give him just a little more uh, ability to fire off into offensive alignment quicker than he got at Utah and not just standing up because I actually didn't like him when he was like running. He got moved off the line of scrimmage far too easily, but oh, really? he has explosiveness to him. He has like all the traits you want to play the right at the NFL level. It's just like it wasn't consistently there at Utah. For the defensive tackle position too, so. assignment can change drastically. Exactly. Like, yeah. And like a changing assignment, legit like what you're asked to do on each play. I'm not, not even necessarily talking about scheme, like where you play. I'm talking mm -hmm. about legitimately what they want you to do on first, second, and third down. You can change drastically. And bad at the other. Exactly. So. And I, I think with Utah maybe misassigned, not misaligned, huh? You like that? You like that? <laughs> and that's right. why they lost against Oregon. Like <laughs> they, got, they got their ass kicked in the run game. Alright, one twenty. Uh, you, you said before the pie, he's like, dude, I'm, I'm an Agim fan. You like this guy. This dude, so I said. Is it Agim? Agim? I'll look into it. You go. Ajim, but, oh, Ajim. Oh, wow. Uh, McTelvin. Okay. Awesome first name, by the way. Uh, it's like Telvin, but then like if McDonald's had a Telvin. Um, but McTelvin, Ajim. Um, <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> All right, keep uh, going. Here. McTelvin, Ajim, he dominated the trying game even more so than uh, Bravion Roy, who I just talked about. Absolutely the highest graded guy defensive tackle there in the one-on-ones. 179% -on of his reps there. Uh, a lot of them from nose tackle. He's probably more of a he's more of a versatile guy at the NFL level uh, in terms of he's not just a nose tackle. He's probably more a guy who could play any defensive tackle alignment. But he tested out really well at the combine also. He's a former five-star. Yeah, had a good grade at Utah this past season, 81.5 pass rushing grade. Um, that, there's a lot to work with here. Uh, um, I don't know why. Like he and he has a lot of. He's an interesting guy because he already has a lot of pass rushing moves. Like he he would throw like four or five different moves in the course of one game. None of them were that great. But the fact that he's throwing, you know, the fact that he's not going to one, you know, tried and true over and over again. That he like he has far more than a guy like Javon Kinlaw does at his disposal already. So at 309 pounds, he ran a 498 at the combine. I did 27 reps. So this guy like there's a lot to like here. Truthfully, he might be a guy who found a board. Like the more I watch, the more I'm like, guy, he's just got to go up because the fact that he's already, like I said, throwing that many moves, that he's capable of them, is interesting. Now they they weren't they didn't lead to elite production, but they led to pretty good production. And Arkansas 
one of the things that is difficult to capture in the grading is opportunity. Mm-hmm. Arkansas was losing a lot of games this past year. He didn't have a lot of opportunity where he was like, I can pin my ears back and rush the passer here in the third, fourth quarter. They were getting, you know, blown. The doors blown off him in a lot of games to where uh, third and fourth quarter, he's only running, only run stuffing. Like all he has to do is care about the run. So, uh, didn't get a chance to necessarily see exactly what he could do as a pass rusher, but when you saw at the Shrine game, it, it was pretty dominant. But the competition at the Shrine game did suck, so <laughs> you know, it was nowhere near the O-line talent that you saw at you know the uh, Senior Bowl. I want to go back and watch more of this guy's tape because I have a handful of things that I think is going to rise his bo- raise, raise his stock after reading into his background a bit. Former five-star that started played a ton as a true freshman. His nickname in high school was Sosa which I feel like is pretty fire. I do like that as a nickname. Yeah, man, and it's, and it's from uh, Chief Keith. isn't and, it? Yeah, and it's a, <laughs> and it's a game. Oh, it is a game. It's yeah. a game. So McTelvin, a game. McTelvin, Sosa, a game. Not a game. Practice. Oh, sorry. Oh, it's Alan Iverson. You're terrible. <laughs> I know. All right. All right. Oh, All right. Moving forward here. Let's let's run through these pretty quickly here. These are the, the, the names that we do have outside of PFF's top 150, but are in the 2020 NFL draft guide, starting with Robert Windsor of Penn, Penn State. Yeah, and so he's the guy that I would have loved in years past. I'm like, man, this guy he's got the he's got the ability to rush the passer. Like he has he has some moves, he's got some quickness, uh, but he's like 285 pounds. And there's no way he holds up against the run in the NFL. Now he's just not going to play anything other than he's a DPR at the NFL level. You are designated pass rusher. Like he's just not going to be on the field anything other than you know a third and long. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't that, and he's not that good to justify a roster spot just for that. You know, maybe a little that he adds as a pass rusher in third and long situations. He, he went to the Senior Bowl, was not exceptional. Now he's another guy who has a spin move, but he's not quite a fat boy swim move because mm-hmm. at two hundred eighty-five pounds, it's it's a normal boy spin move. You, I expect you to be able to have a spin move at that weight. So uh, there's a little something there to me, and this is cheap. Uh, he, he reminds me a lot of Anthony Zettel coming out of Penn State as well. Like they were similar undersized pass rushers. Zettel kicked to the edge, was a little productive there, had a little bit of a career in the NFL and then kind of fizzled out. That might be Windsor's best bet is to lose some weight and play on the edge. Yep. All right. Moving forward here, we are going to go to I want to t- talk to two Ole Miss guys, the guys who went to the Senior Bowl that did not They're necessarily not show out. I didn't think they were that great either. Josiah Coatney and Benito Jones, the two Ole Miss guys. Josiah Coatney had some reps at Ole Miss that I was like, damn, these are good. Like he had some reps where he gets up field and really had showed like a what I thought was a good get off. He goes to the combine and did not show a good get off anymore. Um, Benito, 5.21 40 yard dash uh, over eight. Second shuttle, or excuse me, over eight second three count, over eight second shuttle would be uh, you fell and didn't even get back up. Uh, so I, he's just toast. Like that guy, I, I, there's not a lot to like about him. And then yeah. Benito Jones, nose tackle, can, he's a plugger. Like he's he holds up mm-hmm. well against double teams. Just zero as a pass rusher, like beyond zero. Didn't win. I think he won one rep the whole week in the one on ones at Senior Bowl. The, the, the reason I grouped these two guys together is because the two Ole Miss guys at Senior Bowl really, really struggled. They had a rough time. They did not. They did not do well in the one on ones. It was like yeah. an offensive. You know, any offensive lineman was just looking great against these guys. I will mm-hmm. say. Moving to two other guys at the Senior Bowl: Jason Strobridge of UNC and Larry Murchison, two other guys that were, were there at the Senior Bowl. I don't know what to do with Jason Strobridge, the UNC edge D tackle exactly. kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Edge D tackle. He's 275 pounds, but he's like claiming to be a defensive tackle right now. And he did not look like he, he is. He didn't look great against the run when he was, you know, playing off the edge. Like I, I just worry about a role for this. There guy. were a couple reps at the Senior Bowl where he looked good, but there was also yes. that one where Josh Jones was playing guard and he buried him and into buried the turf. Him. Yeah. So like that's what you worry about when a guy is 275 playing on the interior is that he gets absolutely swallowed up and you have a gaping hole for a running back to run through because this guy just like can't hold his gaps whatsoever. So, and, and the, another guy to where he's not the pass rush he's going to add on the interior is not such that I'm going to, you know, give him a, a roster spot there because he's just such a liability in the run game. So I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with him. I like Murchison a lot more. The UNC, NC state defensive tackle. I think he offers a more complete skill set. Uh, on the interior, another guy who kind of played out of position at NC State this past year in terms of he was playing a lot off the edge or outside of kind of like what James Lynch was doing at Baylor, a lot of off the offensive tackles outside shoulder. Um, and he looked a little better at the senior bowl in terms of he, he looks more complete. It's still another guy to where there's not any one great thing he can hang his hat on, just kind of a solid all around. Like you draft him in the fifth round, and if he plays 300 snaps for you, 
you're not going to be too worried about it. Sort of guy. Okay. That's I mean, that's what we're getting to right now. We're exactly. at the bottom of the barrel here. We're yeah. at the bottom of the barrel of the draft guide. Uh, four more names to bring up. Let's start with Raquan Williams and Rashard Lawrence. Of, Rashard Lawrence of LSU and Raquan Williams of Michigan State defensive tackle. Yeah, Rashard Lawrence was a guy who people, as a sophomore back in 2017, he looked like there was something there. Like we were going to see some, uh, you know, he had a pass rushing grade around 70, which, you know, in the SEC as a sophomore, you're kind of like, oh, that's that can improve in, in the upcoming years. Uh, it just never came after that. And I think the thing is, he's just not that athletic. Like he has a lot of nice, he has some nice pass rushing moves and he had some nice reps, you know, out on the edge, even at an LSU scheme where he was beating offensive tackles. And anytime you see like a 300 pounder beating offensive tackle, you're like, Ooh, what is that? Like that doesn't happen a lot. He's 34 inch arms, but he had an 8.03 cone. There's just not a lot of, not a lot of juice, not a lot of sort of like shake to his game. He's an he's older prospect just, too, isn't he? I think he's a little bit older. He's straight up, he is a senior, but I'm not sure his age. But he's okay. just not. There's just the athleticism not quite there to that is going to get you excited. And that, then the production was definitely not quite. there. And, and with Raekwon Williams, you special. you are not a fan. Oh, Raekwon Williams is just like kind of a statue guy. Yeah, like yeah. He, he's just so he's so. I talked about how Raekwon Davis is not to Raekwon Scott here, but Raekwon Davis is your quintessential <laughs> 3-4 defensive end. Raekwon Williams is like that amplified. Like he has absolutely nothing as a pass, even less, you know, athleticism to rush the passer and 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 probably a little worse in run defense. So uh, I, can, I can another guy who you can throw, you can roster him because you won't feel too, he's not going to get your, you know, he's not going to have in run defense. He's not going to jeopardize your gap integrity. Like he'll hold his gap. But he's not necessarily going to be a playmaker, and he's not going to rush the passer for you, unfortunately. All right, jumping to Garrett Marino, the UAB defense tackle. I think he put up what forty-one reps at his pro day on the bench press. Yeah. This guy's got some some strength to his game, I, and he's also graded very very well for us. He's also, and this was, I wanted to love him as a prospect coming out of UAB. The grade was great, over ninety this past year. He is twenty-five years old. Oh man, Garrett Marino. He had he went on an LDS mission, I believe, um, way back when. And so he's the oldest guy. He'll be 26 as a rookie, actually. He's the so Hayden like he's Hurst of just, this class. Yeah. Not just that he's old. He's, like, absurdly old. Uh, but he had a 90.3 run defense grade, 90.6 pass rushing grade. Is explosive, is strong, but he's not – He he's, like, 290 pounds. And he's kind of, like – any double team was just toast for him. He was gone. And so, and that's even against college competition. So pure three technique, uh, there was like a, I don't know what to do with it. Cause it, is there, I don't know how the, the learning curve goes for guys who take an LDS mission, like just don't play football for a few years. Is it kind of, does the clocks reset? Like, is it just go on pause or is this guy still have, or is because he's 26 years old, is this like what he's only going to be? Like, is there still And, if that, and this here? is what he's only that's going to be tough. playing, you know, UAB with who they played this past year. That's that's a concern. Exactly. That's, I, that's the biggest concern. I mean, day three flyer, though, I'm, I'm more comfortable taking a guy like him than I am maybe yes. Raekwon Williams. You yeah, know, I, because I, I think there's, something, there's something there. There's yeah. something there to build off of. Last guy here, it's the Nebraska defensive tackle. I think Oklahoma State transferred Darian Daniels. He did not get the love of the other Nebraska defensive tackle. I was going to say, we can just throw all these guys. Yeah. Khalil Davis, Carlos Davis, all in it. So I'll start with the backgrounds on Khalil Davis and Carlos Davis, two more Nebraska defensive tackles. These guys come from like a big track background. So I think in high school, it was Carlos Davis that won the shot put and discus in the state championships. Mm -hmm. His brother finished second in both. Like these guys were like legit, like track athletes. And it's a big reason why their, their forties were great because their starts were so smooth. Like the smoothest of any of the defensive linemen that participated at the combine, both of them clocked pretty good 40 yard dashes. Both of these guys are athletic, but what are they on the football field? So that's the thing. Nebraska's getting this high preseason. It's all built around. Oh, they got, you know, Darian Daniels coming in. They have the Davis brothers. This D line is going to be, you know, nuts. They all graded like shit in 2018. Like these guys were not like good. They maybe are like they maybe have the NFL athleticism and the NFL bodies you want, but they weren't good, productive football players. Darian Daniels is just a uh, chonk there in the middle of Nebraska's defense, six three, around the three thirty range. Uh, it just a, he's a, a uh, phone booth guy, or as we like to say, a uh, porta potty guy. Yeah, uh, he plays. That's that's where he's going to win. Nothing really outside of that whatsoever. And the Davis brothers, just like, they don't have pass rushing. I mean, look, Khalil Davis led the Nebraska team with 32 total pressures, which is good, not great. Carlos with 17 total pressures, and Darion Daniels had eight. 
Yeah. Eight total pressures. So the, not a lot of pass rushing upside the, for any of those guys. They just and the Davis, the Davis brothers like they don't have moves. It's been that way for four years. They get most of their pressures off stunts. It's just what are you gonna do with that? I yeah. mean, like athleticism only gets you it gets you in the door. It doesn't get you on the football field making plays though, unfortunately. That's going to do it for the defensive tackle class overview here on YouTube. If you are listening to the podcast, the audio version, you're going to hear our interviews with Denzel Mims, the Baylor wide receiver, and Hunter Bryant of Washington. Until next time, guys, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 Drafts. Joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is Denzel Mims of Baylor. Uh, How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing great, dude. It's great to have you on. So first, take me a little bit of your background a bit here. Talk to me about how when you first started football. I know you have a big family history playing the sport as well. Yeah. Uh, Well, I actually started playing football around when I was like in the sixth grade. Um, I've always been a baseball guy growing up. I always loved baseball. But then my mom introduced me uh, to football, and um, I just played it one year. And um, I ended up falling in love with it. I actually was playing quarterback when I started. Oh really? So you played quarterback? Uh, you played quarterback in high school, or when did you do? That? Uh, I played quarterback from sixth grade year all the way to when I was a, a freshman in high school. Why'd you give it up, man? I think it could have been it could have uh, been lucrative there. I mean, I think so too, but you know, it just I wasn't able. Some I don't know. Something weird happened. I wasn't able really just to throw the ball like I used to. Gotcha. And so I I just gave it up and just moved to receiver. There you go, man. Well, I'm sure it's worked out well for you. Let's go yeah, ahead and, and fast forward to the combine a bit. Obviously, had a fantastic combine. What went into that training? Was it a crazy training process? Something different than what you were doing at Baylor? Um, yes, it was. It was like at Baylor, we do a lot of heavyweight. We we look to get big, mm-hmm. and for uh, more than look just strong, we look to get big and physical. So, um, just going into the uh, combine training, I was just working on a lot of speed work and um, doing like. Uh, doing stuff to get uh, 225 up and get strength-wise and get lean because I was more lean. I got lean when I was at uh, XOs. I mean, so so it was a great training. I was around great guys, and I'm, um, we worked our tails off every single day, three times a day. Nice, man. And, and you clocked a, a 6.66 three-cone, which I think everyone was yeah. impressed with that change of direction, that bend, that yeah, yeah. to your athleticism, and also a 4.38 40-yard dash, which not a lot of people mm-hmm. saw coming. I need to know, how much is the, how important is the start for the 40-yard dash? Because I feel like if you nail the start from a technique standpoint, you're going to fly in the 40-yard dash. But if you can't get those first 10 yards right, it's very difficult to prove that you're fast. Um, yes, it's very, it's very important because, I mean, the 10 I mean first the start is really important like you got to get out to get a good time if you don't get out then you got to have a crazy back 20 to get a fast time and I mean that's pretty much what you saw uh, from DK Metcalf because I mean because he pretty much just raised up right out to jump but his, after that he just she just shot off I mean so it's like you got to have a great a great start and if you have a great start you're gonna run a good time when you were so training, when you were training, how much of the training is with the start? Are you doing a ton of you know, a ton of that with the start and trying to master that? Well, uh, we did starts. We worked on our starts every day, mm-hmm. but we actually worked the twenty start Mondays and Fridays. So Mondays and Fridays when we actually worked on running in twenty. Oh, okay. And, 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 uh, another thing I want to ask you was, you know, I think when you're training for the combine and all of those things, I think is there a certain weight you wanted to get to? Were you building up to a weight or were you trying to cut a little bit? Uh, where were you there? Well, really, though, I, I came uh, – I pretty much stayed the same. I, well, actually, I was like, two, like 205 when I got there. And I just gained a couple pounds. I lost all my fat, and I really just got lean. Mm-hmm. And I just gained a couple pounds. I was looking to get to 210. But when I had that senior bowl, I mean, it, it, I lost most of that weight at the senior bowl because, I mean, basically like it was in camp. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the senior bowl. I think that's where you really took a huge step moving forward. Yeah. Up boards. A lot of people were talking highly of you after the senior bowl. What went into that week? How important do you think that week was for you? I mean, I feel like it was very important. I knew coming in, I was, I was a, you know, say a mid-round guy. And I know my talent, and I know what I'm capable of doing, so I wanted to just show myself. And so I came out there. I was hungry. I wanted to be aggressive. I just wanted to show them that I'm physical and I can do anything that you want me to do. I think with Baylor, I think something that gets brought up as well is that if you're not asked to do a very diverse route free at yeah. Baylor, but then you show up to the Senior Bowl and run a ton of different routes and really show yeah. out. Do you feel like your route running is one of your strengths? 
Uh, I say I say it's growing to be one of my strengths. I mean, because um, what they saying was about my route running. You know, what I'm saying we was it was very limited, but you know, what I'm saying once we run it a lot and I get it down, I'm capable of running it. So it just, it just needed practice, and I, I started working out with uh, David Robinson a lot from uh, from Dallas, Texas, and uh, we just got straight to it right after the right after the bowl game. I say. Two days later, I was working with D Rob, mm-hmm. and so we just got better. Well, what do you do? I think it's you know people say like I need to improve as a route runner. Receivers say they need to improve as a route runner. What do you do to improve that? Is it feet? Is it in the weight room? Is it film? I would love to hear more about that. It's really, it's really, it's really feet and hips. Like I mean, you got to have good hips and loose hips to run good routes. And so what we worked on, I get stretched a lot. I mean, and I do a lot of cone work. And I do a lot of actual routes just to get it down. And we watch, we we do film work on it, so we actually record it, so we can see what I'm what I'm doing wrong in the route, and just so I can learn from it. Let, let's talk more about film. In a given game week, how much film are you watching? Do you watch a lot of film on yourself? And when you are watching your opponent, are you, and when you're watching a specific cornerback you're going to go against, what do you look at on film during the week? Well, um, I watch probably like. 30 minutes with a film of myself, and that's uh, really just with the coach and uh, the receiver group. And I say um, every Monday, every day, really, I spend 30 minutes, me and the group, we spend 30 minutes and we watch the corners. And we spend one day watching first downs and second downs. And it's just about formations. And then we spend another day just doing third downs. Mm-hmm. And we, just, we do it from what they're doing from down and distance. And we say, trying to see what they plan. And we also want to see how they play on the first play of the game compared to the 30th play of the game. We just see how they switch it up. Gotcha. And, and I think, so how, how important do you think film preparation is? Whether you're trying to improve your own skill set or opponent study, do you value watching film and see it's a big part of the process? I mean, it is part of the process. It's always it's always been part of the process because you got to see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, they can switch it up and try to adjust things to your game, but you also want to be expected to to put them to adjust to put it they, to their strengths. I mean, because they're gonna try to do everything they can to win. So if you just watch film and see how they lined up, you can just see if the safety off the hash, you know, it's some come some type of cover two or type of two. So you mean you just got to watch film to know all the things. Yeah. Do, do you watch film on any NFL players to kind of take stuff from their game? Um, I watch film on NFL players. Like we do it as a group. We watch all the different, uh, different oh, nice. receivers every day. And so we just try to see how they play and um, see what they do great in the league. And, but it's one person I really watch is Michael Thomas. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I just admire his game. I love his game. And yeah. I just enjoy watching it. Special player in the NFL right now. Also a very yeah. well-paid yeah. player in the NFL yeah. right now after the contract. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear more about the feedback the teams gave you at the combine or in this kind of interview process that you've done. What what have they said that they really like about your game? Uh, really contesting catches and blocking. Mm-hmm. And I'm a team player. I know I know every I know really know every position on the field. And so I know I know what to expect. I know what I want to do, and I have a game plan of each route. And so it's just they just love that about me. And I, I mean, I pretty I pretty much uh, interview well, and I just I just know I know my game. I know my stuff, and so yeah. that, that was happy about that. Got some confidence. I like that. That's you're, you're interviewing well right now. So I appreciate it. I think um, <laughs> something I want to get more specifics on. You, you say I have a game plan for every route. Can you can you yeah. get more specific with that? Maybe add some details to what goes into that game plan. Well. Uh, as far as the slant, like if he playing, uh, if he playing inside, I know that I can't get inside because I get inside, he gonna just push me all the way down to the uh, the, the, uh linebackers or to the D line, mm-hmm. and so I want to get him running. I want to get him a one two, in and out, and just go. I mean, out in and just go, run him by. I mean, run like five seven yards and then slap him by, breaking flat, and then you catch the ball, you be open right in the hole. Mm-hmm. And if he outside leverage, I want to shuffle release, shuffle release outside. Give him a one-two, get inside, and get back vertical, and then lean on and break it, break it flat. I mean, just have a game plan of that because you never know what you expect. I mean, you never know. I can go back to my freshman year or my sophomore year. I had a game plan. I was I was one of those guys that was just going and trying to get inside, even though he inside leverage and get pushed down to the linebacker. Yeah. I mean, and it, it hurt the team. Mm-hmm. It hurt the team. So I seen that. In order for me to help the team, I got to know. My, I got to know what to do. And I got to have a game plan of what I want to do in each route. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I've talked to a lot of pass rushers in this class, and and they bring up a pre-snap game plan, like how they're going to attack the offensive tackle and things like that. I think the, for the receiver position, it's even more important to kind of come up and yeah. similar take that you had on the slant route there yeah. in, in the Big Twelve. Over the course of your career, who's some of the who's one or two of the guys that were one of the hardest cornerbacks to go against in the Big Twelve? Well, it's a, it's really just one. Um, it's, it's Jeff Gladney. 
I mean, I've been playing him for eight years. We played all through high school. Oh wow! I mean, and it's always been a it's always been a competition. And um, every time I play him, I enjoy playing him. I mean, because he always give me uh, good work. You know, what I'm saying it, it had me. He humbles me a little bit. You know, what I'm saying it makes you rethink about your game and what you need to improve on. Because he's a great corner. And he's he's gonna be a great corner in the league. Jeff Gladney, I, I talked to him a little bit at the combine. He said he likes to talk a little trash, but doesn't do it a ton. I need to hear from you. How much trash uh, is Jeff Gladney talking? No, he don't really talk. No, he, he pretty much like me. Like mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying we just go out there and play. Like you know, what I'm saying it be it be corners they try to talk noise, but I just look at them and I just walk away because yeah. I don't want to get out of my game and worry about talking noise to you when I'm just here to play football. Awesome, man. Well, let's finish with this one. I, I think hearing from you, if you kind of had to tie a bow on it, what do you think really separates you from other receivers in this class? What are your like key strengths? Something that really makes you a difference maker in the NFL? I'm gonna make plays. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna win a lot of 50 50 balls, and I'm I'm gonna be one of those guys that. Uh, I'm gonna block my tail off, and you can tell me go block this dude or that dude, no matter who. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to block him, and I'm not gonna quit till I block him. There you go. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to Foreign Drafts podcast here, and I wish you the best luck moving forward, Denzel. Uh, thank you. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You too. Let's dive into your background a bit to start here. Talk to me about, you know, obviously played high school in Seattle, but what did you do to get into football? When did you first start getting into football? Yeah, I mean, I started playing football when I was five years old. Like officially started, but I think since I was born, I always had a football in my hand. And that was just kind of a part of who I was, like, from the moment I was on this earth. So I started playing officially when I was five. Um started like training for it when I was six. I would work out and run in the off season when I was six years old. And really just kinda of going from there, like I always wanted to be in the NFL. Like that's always been my lifelong goal. Is to finally get to the league and play professionally. So growing up that's kinda of my main focus. Um I played a lot of basketball too growing up. Just when I was getting bored I would go out there. And so I kinda of fell in love with basketball as well, but football is always my main my main focus. And then, yeah, decided to stay home in Washington, really just because um, my relationship with the coaching staff was on another level from everyone else. Like, I love USC. I love Oklahoma. But like, the relationship I had uh, with the tight ends coach, specifically being Coach Pow Pow at UW, was ultimately the reason why I ended up going there. And then, I mean, I think I had a decent career there. Like, definitely um, injuries were something I had to deal with and get through and learn from. But I think I grew a lot from that whole time just spending off the field. So that's really the first time in my life um, that I had to take time off the field. And it was kind of like forced on me. But I think it ended up being really good for me. And then, yeah, no, overall, that was a great experience too. Yeah. Well, no, let's, let's rewind back a little bit there. What positions were you playing growing up? I know you probably could have played anything at six years old, especially if you're doing training in the off season at six years old. I'll tell you right now, I was not, I was not doing that, but um, what, what positions were you playing early on? I'm sure it wasn't always tight end. No, I definitely I actually played running back up until my sophomore year of high school. So from five years old until I think 16, I was playing running back and I was in the back too. I'd be watching someone like Walter Payton and Eric Dickerson and old heads like that and kind of like emulate my game after that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, really once I got to high school, moved to receiver my sophomore year, and I was playing out in a, out of X, out wide. And so I had a lot of fun there and kind of learned how to get um, off the line against corners and kind of play different people on the field. And then, yeah, like transition to college, that's when I went to switch to tight end, actually. Nice, man. Well, let, let's get back. I want, I want to talk about your combine. I appreciate you diving a little bit into, you know, how you went to Washington, obviously Seattle guy, but let's get into this combine here. Came in at six foot two, 248 pounds. Let's start there at Washington. You were listed, I think under 240 pounds for some of the games that you were there. Did you have to bulk up to get two four, to 248? What, what, what went into that, uh, that number? No, actually I just ate really good. And I ate really healthy <laughs> and then you dub, I would try to eat healthy, but I didn't really have the funds to really do that consistently. Mm-hmm. And so during my little off-season training prep, um, I had really four meals a day that were really healthy, um, really just good for my body and just kind of clean my whole system out. Made it so really the only thing in my body was helping it. And I ran out of fat, like didn't have a lot of fat, which is kind of a good weight for me, I think. Nice. And did, what, what weight did you play on in your last year at Washington? 
Um, really, it fluctuated anywhere between two forty-five and like two forty. Okay, just in that area. What was your? Uh, give me the fast food. What, what's your like junk food addiction? There, you had at Washington. It said you're eating bad. I needed to know what you were diving into. I use those for sure. The fried chicken there was incredible. Nice man, <laughs> incredible. I, do, I do love fried chicken. I can get on board with that. Um, so you know, in this, so 248 pounds, a, a, a good weight for an NFL tight end. You came in, ran a 474 40 yard dash, 32 and a half inch vertical, 115 inch broad. How do you feel like you did in those three drills right there? Those explosive drills. I do think a lot of weight and a lot of value gets placed in those drills. Were those good numbers for you? Did you get better? And were you better in testing before that? Where where did you? Feel like you landed there yeah i mean i'm not particularly happy with those numbers um i expect a lot more of myself and i put up better numbers than that in the past and so definitely not happy by seeing i'm not seeing everything happens for a reason mm-hmm. and i definitely think like going into the arm field drills i think i was really successful in those i uh, just in my route running my catching i think i was really smooth um on the field but yeah definitely like the numbers aren't what i hope to put up but like they aren't awful either. So I'm yeah. not really mad. I just keep moving forward. Do you plan to retest in any of those drills at Washington's Pro Day? Um, I don't think I will. Okay. Understood. Well, with that being said, you know, what's your opinion of that? I think so much of the 40-yard dash, it gets all this hype on NFL Network and those things, but a lot of that is technique and start. What's your opinion of these, like this athletic testing, the underwear Olympics, as many call it? You know, the NFL evaluators don't put a ton of stock into it, but fans seem to love it. What's your opinion of this testing? Do you think it's very indicative of the player you are, the player that people are um, with with these drills and with this testing? I mean... I don't know if they translate directly on the field. So, like, they give, like, little benchmarks. And so, like, you're very, um, so to speak, like, if you want to jump ball situation, like, how high are you going to jump? Like, that's what that kind of test. So, um, if you're in the open field, like, how much separation are you going to be able to create from defenders with just your speed? I think that's what the 40 kind of looks to. And so, like, it's not football exact drills, but, like, it could translate onto the field. And so I could see how there could be some importance, um, in the test. Yeah. So when you were talking to NFL teams, you know, what was kind of the majority of that conversation? What were they trying to find out about you? Is it your background? Is it your on-field play? Do they throw plays up and have you break down the X's and O's? Talk to me about those meetings. Yeah, really, they did uh, all of it. So, like, a lot of them try to get my background first to kind of figure out where I came from or why I play football. And then, yeah, kind of dove into the football side of it. So there's all coverages or different uh, defensive fronts and asked me like what play I would run against that, like how I would fit up this DN if he was in a nine tech or um, if I would take the middle of the field, if it's uh, too high from the floor. Just kind of like really pick my brain and just talk ball. And that's what, that's one thing I really enjoyed about the combat. It's just talking in ball with all these professionals. Like everyone whose life is just football and who's like really successful in the game of football and knows everything about it. Just being able to talk ball with them and like learning how to do stuff. So that's a lot of fun for me. Yeah, I think, you know, reading scouting reports, I think people want to highlight you as a move tight end, maybe a tight end that can't block at the next level. Not a complete tight end is something I see in some scouting reports for you. What's your opinion of that? What do you say to people, you know, that say you can't block at the next level? And, and how do you kind of how do you approach that? I mean, really, I don't pay a lot of like, attention to what people say about me, but I think what I put on tape shows that I can do it. And that's one thing I'm really focusing on coming into the, really my rookie season is being a three-down player and showing I can do every little aspect that a tight end has to do on the field. And I want to be an extremely versatile player. And so I think me being able to block like I want to and like I know I can, um, that's going to be big for what I want to do and my goals as a player. So that's definitely like one big goal I have moving forward, just getting my technique right um, in the blocking side of things. Yeah. What do you think, if, and this might be a tough question, but what do you think really separates you from the rest of this tight end class? What makes you the best tight end in the NFL draft? I think it's my versatility, but how much I could do. Um, you could me out wide or in the slot. I could be attached at the wing um, or I could line up in the back to the pulpit or running back. Side. So I really, I could do anything on the offense that the coach would ask me to do. And I think I could do it at a high level. And so, Really, I think my versatility is what separates me and puts me apart.
Yeah, I'd love to talk more about uh, preparation and, and what you do in a given game week to kind of prepare for each game. You talk to a lot of you know prospects. They say you know they value film evaluation and those things. What are you doing in a given game week to prepare for a game? Is it an opponent study? Do you watch a lot of your own film? Uh, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, definitely. So at UW, we had a new install every week, uh, just kind of game plan for the team that we're going to be playing. And so, really, usually our Sundays, I would dive into the game plan and kind of get a hold of that before the install meetings on Mondays. And then throughout the whole week, I'd just be watching film um, on the defense. I'm, be, I'm about to be playing. And the safeties in the corners and the linebackers, they're going to be matching me up, kind of get a feel for their tendencies and what they like to do in certain coverages. So I can kind of uh, depict it when I'm on the field. And then really just look for weaknesses in their game, like anything they got beat at before. So I can add that to my game for that week and kind of beat them with the same thing that they've already been beating with. Nice. So really all aspects of preparation go into it. There's like film study or install and um, really walkthroughs. We did a lot of walkthroughs in the offense just because our offense was more, um, I felt like just more advanced. There was a lot going on in the offense. And so everyone had to be on the same page. And so a lot of time went into just being making sure that everyone knew it 100 percent we could play fast without thinking and then yeah that's really that's how we were prepared do, do you watch play uh tape of any players in the nfl and try and take things from their game to kind of put in your own yeah i watch uh personally delaney walker Evan Ingram, and george Kittle. kind of all three of those and see how dominant they are in their own aspects of the game and I like how aggressive Kittle is and how strong he is at the point of attack. And really, like, with the ball in his hands, too, like, he's tough. And I feel like I like to think I'm the same way. Like, I'm decently tough to bring down. But and then how explosive Ingram is, now he can do a lot just with his speed. And then after he gets the ball in his hands, it's his speed and his athleticism. And then how just versus how Delaney Walker is. Like, he can do everything you ask him to do as a tight end position. And we're the same size. And so I take, I take a lot of pride just watching him and learning how he does it because really he's an excellent player. He's a great player. So just watching all of them. I, I want to finish with this one, Hunter. I, I think with the tight end position, it's it's one of those roles on an NFL offense that requires you to do so many things. You have to block, run routes, you know, mm-hmm. play after the catch, contested catch situations, red zone. I think in the NFL today, you see some of the best tight ends are great route runners and great after the catch. The Travis Kelsey's, George Kittle's of the world. What what kind of um, value do put do you put in at the tight end position to make plays after the catch, make plays with the ball in your hands? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's a huge part of my game. And I think playing running back from since I was five years old really helps me with that. It's like when I'm in the open field with the ball, like it feels natural to me. Like I love making people miss. I love breaking tackles, stiff arming cats. Like when I have the ball in my hands in the open field, I think that's one of the biggest parts of my game. That's where I can do after the catch. And so really like moving into the NFL, like I'm excited to keep that moving and keep moving with that. And Really just keep being explosive with the ball in my hands. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the two for one drafts podcast. You are a fantastic individual and I really do wish you the best of luck moving forward. I hope you do become the best tight end in the NFL draft. Uh, Like I said, best of luck moving forward, Hunter. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one.